Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, good morning. Great to see everybody this morning. I want to welcome everybody that's watching online as well. Certainly glad to have you with us today. And I know what you're thinking. After that music, why does anybody need to get up and talk, right? Yeah, well, you don't get off that easy. I'm sorry. You still got to endure just a little bit. It'll help you as we go through it. Hey, we started, as Josh said earlier, talking about the seven last sayings of Christ. They were very powerful, uh, the, the final words of Jesus on the cross. And this morning, we're going to look at the very first words that Jesus spoke after he rose from the dead. We're going to be over in John chapter 20, uh, beginning with verse 11. John 20, beginning with verse 11. We're going to see the very first words that Jesus spoke. I'm going to read that for you uh, right now. It says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? And she said, They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they put him. At this she turned around, and Jesus was standing there, but he didn't, she didn't realize it was Jesus yet. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Now, thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary? And she turned towards him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, to your Father, to your God, and to my God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them she had seen these things. Now on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked because of their fear of the religious leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, and he said, Peace be with you. Let's have a prayer. Father, Thank you for your word now, and as we look into it, help us to understand it better, but more than that, help us to live as you show us today, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first words somebody says are really, really important. If you've ever had a child, you know you wait all this time for your child to say the first words, and most children say one of two words as their very first words, either mama or dada. Those are the very first words almost all children say. Now, we're going to have a poll here just to guess here. How many of you think mama is the first words a child says? Raise your hand. Okay, we've got three people there. Uh, how many think dada is the first thing people say? All right. As a matter of fact, uh, overwhelmingly, the first words that a child says is dada. Uh, now, it seems strange because moms do all the work, uh, get none of the credit, and then the kid pops up and says, Dada, after mom's doing everything for them. So Dawn and I, when I was writing the sermon, we went and we pulled out our baby books. I have two kids, uh, Alyssa and Andrew. We got Alyssa's baby book. We looked it up, and sure enough, Alyssa's first words were Dada. Didn't surprise me even a little bit uh, when I read that. So then we grabbed Andrew's baby book. We looked in it. We got there. And what we found was 
Andrew was the second kid, and we could have cared less what his first words were. <laughs> so we didn't even write it down. We were just trying to survive at that point. You know, we, we, we didn't really care. But the first words mean a lot, and we're going to look at the first words of Jesus and see uh, just how powerful they are and what they mean to us today. So Jesus' first words are actually really interesting that are recorded in John chapter 15. Jesus asked two questions that we still need to ask today. He asked two questions that we still need to ask today. Look at verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping, and whom are you seeking? Why are you weeping, and whom are you seeking? So the two questions basically come down to this. Where is it hurting, and who are you looking for to heal it? Where is it hurting, and who are you looking for to heal it? So let's take one of those at a time. First of all, where does it hurt? Why are you weeping? Now, you've all been in situations before where you've seen somebody really upset, and you said something to him like, what's wrong? Are you okay? What's the matter? We've all been in situations like that. Well, here is Mary. She's gone with the other ladies. They've gone to the tomb to embalm a dead body. There's no hope in any of this. Uh, they're just faithful. They love Jesus. They're going to embalm a dead body. When they get there, the body's not even there. And they believe the body must have been stolen uh, by the people that hated Jesus the most. And so now, uh, you know, they're even more upset. You know, they hated him in life. Couldn't they just have given him some peace even in death? And so Mary is really upset at the fact that the body is missing. When Jesus shows up, and in verse 15, he says, Why are you crying? And what are you looking for? So let's take those one at a time. First of all, where does it hurt? Why are you crying? Now, Jesus knew why she was crying. She was crying because the body had been stolen. But the question goes even beyond that. The question becomes, what you're, what you're crying for, what you're hurting, I'm here to be the solution and the healing for your tears and your hurt right now. The simple fact of the matter is we live in a world today with a lot of problems, a lot of troubles, a lot of anxiety, a lot of things that make us hurt and make us cry. And I just read a thing this week and I found out Easter is one of those things. Because out of all of the characters of every holiday, the Easter bunny is the one that scares kids the most. Okay, so this is a very anxious holiday, you know, when you get there. I don't understand why. Easter bunny been bringing joy since 1950 to all children. But somehow having a big rabbit, it doesn't give kids a sense of peace for some reason uh, when they are out there. So, so even the Easter Bunny causes us some anxiety. But I read a poll this week and it was talking about what are the main fears of Americans right now? The main fears that Americans have. Here are some of those fears. That uh, World War III is going to break out. That we're going to be pulled into the conflict like with Russia and Ukraine. And pretty soon there will be a world war and we're going to be a part of that. So Americans, that's the number one thing they're afraid of. Still afraid of COVID and that, that you or a loved one may get COVID. You're afraid that someone you love may die. We're afraid of incompetent political leaders, afraid of inflation and economic collapse and that our money will be worthless. We're afraid of terrorism and global warming and crime and safety and the destruction of our values. We're afraid of a lot of things out there today and they make us anxious and they keep us up at night and we obsess about some of these things. And then at the end of the poll was the saddest thing of all. Here's how the poll ended. This is the first generation in the history of our country that believes their children will grow up in a worse world than they did. 
Every generation of Americans since the founding of this country has believed that their children are going to inherit a better world and that it's going to be good and that they're going to help bring that world about. But this generation believes, nope, the next generation is going to be worse than this one and it's going to keep getting worse. And so that anxiety and that fear, and that's exactly what Mary was feeling, and Jesus comes with us for that same question, where are you hurting? And we all have individual hurts as well. It's not just these big global issues, but we have personal issues and problems. We have relationship troubles, health issues, financial strains. If you've been to the to the buy a tank of gas, you have a financial strain uh, almost immediately uh, after you've done that. We have the general loss of hope and optimism, personal failures, personal addictions. And we gather here and all of that stuff hits us and we wonder, where is God? Can God help? What's the solution to all of my fears and all of my problems. And part of the issue is we think that if you believe in God, you're not going to have any problems. But the Bible nowhere says that. And so when problems come, when things make us anxious, we wonder what's going on and why it happened. When I was in college, a good friend of mine got his first tattoo. And I never will forget when he came back after getting it, I said, hey, I want to see your tattoo. And uh, he's showing me his tattoo and he says this. He goes, I wish somebody would have told me something. Anybody. And I said, what's that? And he goes, I wish somebody would have told me, this really hurts. But nobody told me that. And I said, well, that might have been a good thing to know in advance. He got his second tattoo, and I asked him, I said, well, how bad was it? And he goes, wasn't nearly as bad as the first one, because I went in thinking it was going to hurt really bad, so it didn't hurt nearly as bad as I was thinking. And so sometimes we look at the world like that. We look at it, and things happen, and we think, why didn't somebody tell me it wasn't always going to be perfect? Well, this world isn't always going to be perfect, but knowing that and preparing for that is something that we need to do. So that's the first thing, where are you hurting, that Jesus asked. The second question then is, who are you looking to heal it? Okay, you're hurting. Who are you looking to get healing for your hurt? Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Now, she's looking for Jesus in that body, but again, like with the first question, it goes beyond that. And it goes beyond, okay, I know you're looking for a dead body, but he says, not only that, who are you looking for to heal the hurt that you've had in the very first question? And people look to all kinds of places to heal that hurt. Some people try to ignore it. We just try to ignore the hurt altogether, and we try to act like it's not there. Acting like you don't have a problem is never going to solve that problem. It just gets worse and worse, and we keep pushing it aside. Sometimes we think, well, I'm going to handle it myself. I'm just going to buck up and be tough and handle any problem that comes towards me. And then things happen in life that we truly are out of our control, and we don't know what to do about it any longer. We go to experts, wise people, family members, uh, political leaders, movements, all kinds of things. In the last two years of COVID, uh, the amount of money that psychics, fortune tellers made doubled. Their business doubled in the last two years because everybody going, just trying to find something to give them some hope, to give them some peace. So the two questions Jesus asks, where are you hurting? Who are you looking for to heal the hurt that you have? How are you trying to make it better? And what we're going to see now is that the resurrection of Jesus is the answer to both of those questions. So let's go on and look at our scripture and see what we find out. And what we find out is this. Jesus is the answer to the question that we've just asked. 
So the first thing is this. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that God has the power and the willingness to help us. The problems and the fears and the troubles you have, because Jesus rose from the dead, God has the power to help you and he has the willingness to help you. Jesus is now there on your side to help in ways that you could have never imagined. So let's look down to verse 17 of our scripture passage. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, to your Father, to my God, and to your God. So Jesus was about to ascend to go back into the Godhead, to go back into the Trinity. He's about to become one with God again. All power, all glory is going to be his. So that one that rose from the dead, Jesus, is now going with all power and all glory. So what that tells us is, I don't care what your problem is, I don't care what you're going through, God is there, Jesus has the power and the authority to help with any problem that is going on in your life right now. So who are you seeking? That's who you need to be seeking. When problems and troubles come, I'm going to take them and lay them at God's doorstep. But more than that, he doesn't just have the power, he has the willingness to do something about it. Jesus went to the cross because he loved you. He went to the cross to take your sins on him. He went to the cross to die in your place. And now that he's rose from the dead, he wants to give you all of the benefits and all of the love and all of the forgiveness that God has. He wants to help you where you are hurting if we will only let him. He has got the power and he's got the willingness to do something about it. Read an interesting story uh, in, uh, online this week. There's a group of students in Israel who've gone on a field trip. Uh, from their, their class. And they went down to that Dead Sea area in that Negev desert, and they, they got out there. If you've ever been in that area, there's just nothing out there. I mean, it is nothing but rocks and wadis, and they got lost, and they couldn't find them. And its temperature was starting to fall. It was getting dark. People were starting to panic. They, they didn't know how they were going to get them. They said, what are we going to do? How are we going to find these kids? Their life's going to be dangerous in just an hour or two. And they didn't know what to do about it. And so somebody said, well, the military has drones. But we don't know if they'll use them for this. And so they went to the military and they said, do you have any drones to help with this? And the Israeli Defense Force then had a decision to make. Their drones were patrolling the border to look for any terrorists and any activities that may come that way. So they would have to take the drones off of that to look for the kids. They had the power to do it. Would they have the willingness to do it? And the IDF said, of course, you can use our drones. They took them off the border, sent them into that Dead Sea area, and in less than 15 minutes, they'd found the children. And this is the picture of the children being led out right there. They had both the power and the willingness to do something about it. And so when you look at the problems and the troubles you have, the good news is because of Jesus' resurrection, there is the power and the willingness to help you where you are hurting and need help the most. That brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus can heal our hurts and give us peace. He can heal our hurts and he can give us peace. So what we've seen so far is what Jesus said to the, to the women, to Mary and the other ladies at the tomb that day. The next story is the very first thing Jesus says to his disciples. Now, the disciples, you have to understand, they're afraid, they're in hiding. Uh, everything has gone wrong for the disciples. The one they knew was the Messiah and was going to reign in power and glory has now been unjustly accused, given a mock trial, and they saw him die. Not only that, they left and betrayed him and refused to even go and follow him. They, every one of them, 
uh, ran away. Not only that, one of their best friends and another disciple betrayed them and Jesus to death, and they're dealing with all of these things. And then to make it worse, they're afraid because they believe the same people that killed Jesus are looking to kill them. And so they're just a mess. They're hiding and they're a mess. And we're going to see the very first words Jesus speaks to them. Look down uh, in our scripture passage, if you will, to verse 19. Now, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked because of their fear of the religious leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. Now, it's really interesting. You've got these 11 guys that have betrayed you, acted like they didn't know you, ran away, and they're hiding in fear that they might be arrested, and they're grieving, and Jesus shows up, and what's he say? What's wrong with you? Why are you hiding? Why did you have so little faith? Why didn't you believe in me? No. He shows up to a group of guys that are mourning and grieving and feeling shame, and the very first thing he says to them is peace. Peace be with you. And he doesn't say it once. It's the very next thing he says as well. He says it twice in a row. Why does he say it to them? Because he loved them, and what they needed the most at that moment was to know God was with them and was offering them the peace of Christ. And it would change everything in their lives as they went forward with that. You know, it's interesting, in the Gospel of Matthew, the first words that Jesus speaks are just a little bit different. He says to the women, don't be afraid. So there you have, why are you hurting? What are you looking for? I want to give you peace. Don't be afraid. All the same things. After the resurrection, Jesus didn't say, look at me, look at my power, look at my glory, look what I've done. How come you're not on your knees worshiping me? What he said was, I know you're hurting. I know the world's crazy. Don't be afraid. Have peace. I've conquered the world. I've risen from the grave. And he comes and he offers us that same peace today. And what we have to understand is that peace doesn't mean you're not going to have any more problems in the world. We said that a little bit earlier, but our, our mistake we often make is, if I believe in God, everything's going to go well, and I'm not going to have any problems. I think I told you, uh, I dated a girl one time in college, and I went to pick her up uh, on the date, and, and she had a big knot on her head. And I said, what happened to you? And she goes, I was rushing to get ready, and I hit my head uh, on the bathroom door when I was coming out. And she said, and I've been trying to think since then, I wonder what I must have done, done wrong today that God you know, hit me in the head with that door. And I said, God didn't hit you in the head with the door because you did something wrong. If he did that, you'd have knots all over your head. That was our last date, but, but regardless uh, uh, of that, it worked out better for me. I mean, you know, well, what can I say? But, you know, that idea of, God, why are you doing this? We think if we have a problem, it's because God's not showing up and God's not doing something. When Jesus says peace, when he says don't be afraid, it doesn't mean there's not anything to be afraid of. It means you're going to have peace in the midst of the uncertainty and problems of the world. There were 11 people in that room that Jesus said peace to, 11 of them. 10 of them would be put to death because of their faith. Does that sound like they're never going to have any more problems? It doesn't to me. 
It means in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of the crazy world, I have overcome all of this and you can have faith in me. It means you're going to mess up and you're going to fail and you're still going to do things wrong even after you have faith. But guess what? Because of my cross and resurrection, you're going to be forgiven of your sins and loved even when you mess up. It means that, that when problems and troubles come, that it doesn't mean they disappear. It means I'm going to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death every step of the way. You're never going to walk alone. I'm going to walk through it with you. You don't have to be afraid of that. It means that even if you die, I'm going to raise you from the dead to be with me forever. In a crazy, crazy world, I'm coming to offer you peace. Now, what does that kind of peace look like? This is what that kind of peace looks like. It looks like uh, a chicken walking by Kentucky Fried Chicken with great, great uh, confidence as it's going by right there. Uh, you know, that's the kind of peace you can have. It doesn't mean that they're, trying, they're not trying to get you. It means that you can walk by with boldness because you know God is with you every step of the way. So think about those first words. Where is it hurting? Who are you looking for to, to solve the problem of your hurt? Why are you afraid? Don't be. I've come to give you peace. And when we think about those things, it changes even what we view of the resurrection. Because what we often think of the resurrection is that Jesus rose from the dead, he's got all power and authority, and now I'm never going to have any problems anymore. But it was much, much more realistic than that. It was coming to people hurting and afraid and anxious and saying, you don't have to be afraid anymore. I've risen and I'm here. You don't have to stay up all night and, and fight your problems and troubles. Guess what? I'm here to give you peace. I've risen from the dead, and I'm going to be with you every single step of the way, and it's going to change your life for all eternity. Got any pro wrestling fans out there? Nobody? One. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, anybody know who The Undertaker is? Oh, oh yeah. I'm not a pro wrestling fan, but I know The Undertaker. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Now the truth starts coming out as we get into it. Okay. All right. The Undertaker was just put into the, to the Wrestling Hall of Fame. And they had a, this big ceremony, you know, at the Hall of Fame. And he got up, and when he, when he accepted his award, he said some really strange things. He started talking about his wife and thanking her for changing his life by leading him to Jesus. And he told a really interesting story. He said that, he said, my life, I'd lived it fairly wild. He said, uh, uh, he said you know, I, everything was excess. I thought what was going to make me happy was having money, having things, and being noticed and being popular. He said, I thought that was going to make me happy. And he said, I was absolutely miserable. He married a, another wrestler by the name of uh, Michelle McCool. Isn't that a great name? McCool. That's a, you know, I kind of like that. Y'all, you can just call me Chip McCool, okay, if y'all want to. That'd be good. And so she was a Christian. They had a child. She took the baby to church. The undertaker never, never went with her. So he said he had a really bad weekend one weekend. He was sitting on the couch watching TV. His wife and daughter came out dressed for church, and his wife looked at him and said, hmm, I think you're going to church with me today. And he looked at her and said, you know, I'm a tough pro wrestler. And so I said, oh, yeah? 
well, I guess I'll go get ready then. And so, you know, he, he went and, and he got ready. And he said he went to church and he said he was dreading it. He goes, there's going to be these slow old hymns. It's going to be awful. And then the pastor's going to get up and tell me I'm going to hell. And I'm going to tell him what I think of him in front of my wife. And she'll never invite me to church again. And he said, so we get there, and he said, man, the music was great. He said, you know, they had this praise band. He said, it was really good. And he said, I was really kind of getting into it. And they said, then the pastor got up, and I said, okay, buddy, bring it on. The undertaker is ready. And he said, he got up, and he started talking about amazing grace and God loving you despite yourself and that you could have a better life than you've got right now. And he said, I started thinking, that's really what I want. And he said, we went out and we got in the car on the way home. And he said, my mind's just filled with all this stuff and I'm running it over in my mind. And so I'm not saying anything. So about halfway home, my wife says, okay, give it to me. Well, and I said, well, what? And she goes, well, what about church? And he goes, I said, well, I don't know about that stuff. I mean, I guess I'll go back with you next week, but I don't know what I think about it. And over the next month or so, he came to faith in Jesus Christ, and he said it changed his whole life. Now, if you know anything about The Undertaker from wrestling, when he was fighting somebody, and he's about to take him down, and it's about over, he would always say, rest in peace. And then he would take him down, and they would rest in peace. And when he got his Hall of Fame, he stood up and he said, I said that my whole life. And I never knew what it meant until Jesus Christ came in and changed me. And now it's finally true for the first time in my life, I am resting in peace. I don't know what's going on in your life. We all have our individual problems and struggles that keep us up at night and worry us. But the truth of the matter is, there is a risen Savior who is there to give you peace. There is a risen Savior that says to you, do not be afraid. Where's it hurting? I'm the answer to where it's hurting. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for your son and his victory that day. Help us to know that it wasn't just his personal victory, that it's become our victory as well, that it's changed our lives and our destiny. Give us the, the strength and the, the faith to truly look to you when life falls apart. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.